Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Emily Tampkin, and you're listening to World Review from The New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I am speaking to Amir Tibone. Amir is a journalist at Haaretz, where he hosts the Haaretz Weekly Podcast. Amir, thank you for being back on the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here again. Thank you for inviting me a second time. It's the greatest compliment. Last time we spoke was about a different constellation of Israeli politician and Israeli government. Listeners, if you listen to our podcast a few weeks back, you'll know that Israel recently had elections again and that the apparent victors were former and likely future Prime Minister Netanyahu and some very far-right politicians and parties. Amir, what is the current state of play? So the election took place on November 1st. And uh, this was the fifth Israeli election since 2019. Israel has had an ongoing crisis of democracy. It's a political, legal, and I also call it constitutional crisis, although Israel doesn't have a constitution, but it has to do with the balance of power between the different authorities of the state, the government, the legislature, and the judicial system. It all revolves around the fact that Netanyahu, the former and now future prime minister, is facing a corruption trial in the Jerusalem District Court. He's been indicted on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust. And uh, now, in this election, after, again, four deadlocked elections, something different happened. Netanyahu actually won a majority for his Likud party and the religious and far-right parties that are aligned with it. They won 64 seats, which in Israel's Knesset is a majority, because overall there's 120. And as we record this podcast, he's negotiating with those different parties to form a right-wing religious coalition. It will be if they actually succeed. And I think the chances they succeed are pretty high, even if it will take another week or two or three. But if it will be formed, it will be the most religious and most right-wing government in Israeli history. It will be the first government in the history of Israel where religious lawmakers are a majority of the governing coalition. Uh, We've had over the years government with religious parties led by both the right and the left. We've never had a government where religious lawmakers are the majority. And this is something that I believe will change the character of the state of Israel. So we're looking at some interesting and dramatic times here in the Holy And when you say change the character of the state of Israel, what in what way do you think it will change? I think 
First of all, Israel will become a more religious country in terms of legislation and governmental decisions and regulations and some freedoms that were awarded to Israelis over the years, whether by the Israeli Supreme Court or through, through legislation, could be reversed. I think this is a government that is going to finally, at last, bury the corpse of the two states of Israeli-Palestinian conflict because it will invest heavily in the settlements, in the occupied territories, and perhaps legalize some of the illegal outposts in the West Bank and basically make it impossible to even have some kind of a future discussion of a, of a solution to the conflict. So it sounds like you're saying that with respect to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that some of what is currently de facto will be made de jure. Is that a fair a fair yes. way of putting it? Yes, yes. I think especially on the Palestinian front, that's a correct way to view it. And I think facts on the ground were already created by previous governments. But there was at least some kind of last sliver of hope um, that maybe the two-state solution could somehow be preserved or rescued and maybe implemented in the future. I believe this government is going to be the government that will change this perception and open the door to discussion of much more frightening alternatives. Basically, a one-state reality in which Israel controls territories for good. And we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean for the millions of Palestinians living there? And you mentioned that there will also likely be rights curtailed for Israeli Jews. Could you speak a bit about what some of those might be? The biggest thing this government wants to do is to pass what we in Israel call the override clause. This is a law that would give the smallest majority in our Knesset, 61C, the ability to override decisions by the Supreme Court of Israel. For example, if the government passes a law that hurts the rights of Israeli women or Israeli LGBT citizens or Israeli Arab citizens, remember 20% of the citizens of Israel are Arab Israelis, in the past, there was a very high likelihood, actually also in the present, this has not happened, a very high likelihood that the Israeli Supreme Court would strike down such legislation because it would say that this legislation contradicts one of the basic laws of the state of Israel. We do not have a constitution here, but we have several basic laws that have a special standing and they protect the rights of the citizens and create some kind of balance between the different authorities. Once you put in place this override clause, the smallest possible majority can pass a law that hurts the rights of citizens. And then if the Supreme Court intervenes, it can override the Supreme Court decision and keep the law in place. Obviously, this will significantly harm Israeli democracy at large, and it will create an opening for hurting the rights of Israeli citizens on many fronts. I don't believe from day one we will see legislation against the LGBT rights, or a legislation that significantly harms what is secular Israelis can do. I think it would be more like a boiling frog than a, like a very quick action. But this override clause opens the door to some very dangerous possibilities. And again, it will be a complete change in the balance of power between the authorities in Israel. So moving from the domestic to the foreign policy front or to foreign affairs, there's already been some speculation that, for example, with respect to the United States, that if certain extremist politicians are given certain positions in the government, that might change U.S.-Israeli relations. I am skeptical that they will change dramatically, but I'm wondering what the view is from where you sit. I think the Biden administration is not happy about these results. 
I also think Netanyahu is not happy about the results of the U.S. midterm election because he was right. hoping for right. a Republican Congress with a large majority in the Republican Senate and a weakened and injured Biden. And that way, any confrontations between his new government and the Biden administration and the Democratic Party, he could describe to Israelis as a small annoyance, nothing to take too seriously. He would describe Biden as an aging and irrelevant president on the way out. And they remind Israelis that Donald Trump is running for president again and to make a comeback. And anyway, the Republicans are in power and so forth. But what happened is the opposite. Biden emerged stronger from these midterm elections. The Republican Party is split and disappointed. The Democrats still retain power in the Senate. And this means that a confrontation between this extreme Israeli government and the Biden administration and the Democratic Party could be costly for Netanyahu also in the domestic arena in Israel, politically. And so right now we're seeing Netanyahu trying to limit the influence of the most extreme elements in this coalition, yeah. uh, like keeping Bezalel Smotrich, the leader of the far-right religious Zionism party, from the defense ministry. And basically using Biden as his excuse for that. He's basically saying this will cause us trouble with the Americans. And the defense ministry is especially important because of the cooperation with the Pentagon mm-hmm. and all the support the U.S. provides Israel militarily. We'll see how it ends. I think Smotrich will not uh, back down so quickly. And in general, this sets us up for a reality in which Netanyahu has to tell his far-right partners, but Biden, all the right. time, repeat those two words. I'm not sure how long they will agree to hear those two words. At some point, they could come and say, you know what? If it's all about Biden, let's blow up this government and have a new election. And so this creates a political difficulty for Netanyahu. He would have much preferred a stronger Republican Party and a weaker President Biden. It is sort of interesting that we're now at this point, I think, been current for a while, but it's interesting that it's now out in the open that the Netanyahu wing of Israeli politics, if you want to call it that, is aligned with the Republican Party, whereas you have, I don't know, maybe centrist, liberal Israeli politicians more closely aligned with Democrats. It's just become so so openly partisan. Yes, it's like Israel is another U.S. state and it just had a democratic uh, governor and now there was an election and the Republican was... So you know what? All the analysts said on election night in the U.S. that in the governorships, the Democrats had a wonderful night, right? They kept the governors in Michigan and in Wisconsin and they have Josh Shapiro, a Jewish governor and a rising star in Pennsylvania. And they won in Arizona. They flipped the governors over. I think they only lost in Nevada. So actually, the analyst should have said that the Republicans also now want the governor of Israel. Flipped it from democratic control from Yair yeah, yeah. to Benjamin Netanyahu. And yeah, it does feel sometimes there is this dynamic that has really aligned himself so much with the Republicans, whereas his opponents are closer to the Democratic Party. It's not 100%. Oh. I think Yair Lapid, as prime minister, also had good working ties with some of the some elements of the Republican Party. Netanyahu in the past had uh, friends in the Democratic Party. He used to have good relationships with people like uh, Chuck Schumer Mm -hmm. and like the the old school Jewish politicians who were very supportive of Israel and really had it in their gut, this sense of commitment to Israel. But what he did during the Obama years and then during the Trump years alienated even the most pro-Israeli Democrats. And we saw during this election, there was an interesting story that my colleague Barack Ravid reported that Senator Menendez from New Jersey, one of the most pro-Israeli senators, uh, I think even voted against Obama's Iran deal at the mm-hmm. time, one of four Democrats in the Senate to oppose it, met Netanyahu and warned him 
that bringing yep. the far right into his government would be harmful to the U.S.-Israel relationship. And Menendez is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and I think he's going to continue in that role. So we're seeing that Netanyahu is really alienating even Israel's last, I don't want to say last supporters, because I think a lot of Democrats who criticize Netanyahu are still supporters of Israel. Right. But he's alienating even his last allies in the Democratic Party. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just 12 pounds. That's one euro a week in Europe and just two dollars a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. Hi, I'm Armando Yanucci. And I'm Anoush Shekelian. And we present Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast. Each episode, we'll be taking a look at how our politics has got so broken and whether there's anything we can do to fix it. We hear from people shaping our society, from the front line to the corridors of power, alongside campaigners, journalists and satirists, including John Stewart, Ian Hislop, Rosamond Adukissi Debra, and Catherine Haddon. You can listen to all three series now. Just search the New Statesman podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to newstatesman.com forward slash Westminster Reimagined. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And outside the United States, do you see this new government, should it be formed, do you see it as changing Israel's standing in the world, its role in the world, its foreign policy? Or is it business as usual, but with, with extremists? Yeah, It's obvious that for Western European countries, there could be issues here. And the European Union at large will have to monitor what this government does and decide. How, how it wants to respond to actions that will, again, be very destructive to the prospect of two-state solution and some human rights violations potentially as well. This government, there are elements in it that are talking about immunity to soldiers. Basically, that there will be no 
legal action against Israeli soldiers in any case in which they kill Palestinian civilians. Today, the IDF does conduct investigations and sometimes does put soldiers on trial. There's been criticism that this system is not independent enough and the, that the punishments are not severe enough. I, I don't want to go into all those details, but at the end of the day, there is a mechanism that exists and now they want to change it. What will that mean for the prospect of Israel facing action from the International Court of Justice or the International Criminal Court? These are very serious questions. Right now, very few people in Israel are actually giving their mind. I think for other countries, China, Russia, it would be cynical if they uh, choose to criticize Israel over human rights in light of their own record. But obviously, these are countries that historically have been less aligned with Israel. Israel has counted much more on the support of the United States and Western Europe. And Israel is in a bind right now re regarding the war in Ukraine, because all of its top allies are supporting Ukraine, but Israel has decided to stay neutral. And I don't think Netanyahu will change that. It's out of fear of Vladimir Putin and the potential implications that Israeli support for Ukraine could have in the Syrian arena, where Russia still has some military presence. And then there is an open question regarding the Arab world. Mm. The Arab world has gotten very close to Israel in recent years. This is mostly about other big picture events in the region, the rise of Iran and its involvement in wars all over the region, the common threat of terrorism, the fear of an Iranian nuclear bomb. All of these things have pushed Arab countries closer to Israel. We saw it in the Abraham Accords in 2020, and we saw it in some gestures and diplomatic agreements that were signed in the last two years as well. And there is, I know, a big concern right now in Arab capitals in the region that is this new government adopts a, an extreme line and leads to an outburst of violence on the Palestinian arena. It would also endanger the process of Israel getting closer to the Arab world, and we could actually see a, an opposite trend as a result. So... Just two other questions for you. And the first is you've painted what I think will sound to many listeners like, like a dire picture. Indeed. Those who were defeated in this election, both politicians and those who, who did not want to see this, this group come to power, what signs of opposition or strategy or what, if anything, have they shown in the weeks since the election? First of all, it's important to note that this election was lost on technicalities on behalf of the anti-Netanyahu bloc. Netanyahu did not win a majority of the votes. This is actually quite a tragedy for the forces that oppose him in Israeli society. If you look at the raw votes in this election, the pro-Netanyahu bloc, basically Likud and the religious parties, received just over 49% of the vote. And the anti-Netanyahu bloc, which is much more eclectic and is con consists of uh, nine different parties, ranging from the moderate right wing all the way to the far left, they also received just over 49% of the vote. And, and the rest was split between small fringe parties that had no chance of passing Israel's uh, electoral threshold, which is 3.25% of the vote. So why did Netanyahu win 64 seats with 49% of the vote? Because of the component I just mentioned, the electoral threshold. Two left-wing parties, the liberal Zionist Merits Party, and the Arab nationalist Balad party received together about 300,000 votes, and yet they both failed to pass the threshold. Merits ended the election, I think, with 3.20% of the total vote. Balad with, I think, 3.0% of the total vote. And in Israel, in order to win any representation in the Knesset, a party must receive at least 3.25% of the total vote. That's our electoral threshold. So once you have two left-wing parties, 
that throw into the trash, basically, an amount of votes that is worth six Knesset seats. That is the whole difference between Netanyahu winning a majority and failing to win a majority. So some in Israel are finding comfort in this argument, basically in saying we did not lose because of a majority of the voters turning against us. We lost because of irresponsible and uh, arrogant behavior by several political leaders who refused to merge smaller parties into larger ones, which is what the right wing did in this election. The right wing only had four parties in this election. Several smaller parties on the right merged together in order to avoid the threat of the threshold. The left didn't do it and lost a lot of votes. And so people are saying, at some point there will be another election. Maybe tensions between this government and the Biden administration could lead to a collapse at some point. And then we'll have to come organize and regroup and run in a more strategic setting to make sure no votes are wasted. Other than that, I think the opposition is still shell-shocked. The election yeah. was only two and a half weeks ago, and they're still trying to figure out what to do. And I think their first big fight is going to have to be against the override clause, because this is a game changer. This is something that changes the rules of the game here in Israel and opens the door to very difficult possibilities. And I think the other bit of good news for the opposition was what happened in Washington and the fact that there is a chance now that there will be some limitation on the actions of this government through the strategic relationship with the United States and the Netanyahu's fear of getting a retribution from Biden or for from Democrats in the Senate. My last question, you already flagged some, how to put this, road bumps in negotiations. As negotiations continue, what what will you be watching? What potential points of conflict? What potential big news? What will you have your eye on in the last days and weeks of, of these? First of all, I think there's a question of the uh, top ministries, the defense ministry, the finance ministry, the foreign ministry that everybody has their eyes on and, and wants to control. And Netanyahu would like to keep it for members of his own party, but he realizes that he is actually the weaker negotiator right now in these talks because he completely needs the support of the religious parties in order to orchestrate his plan to weaken the judicial system in Israel and by doing that, solve his own legal trouble and remove the threat hovering, hovering above him from the criminal trial. And his partners know it just as well. They know he's a desperate man, and that's why they are making an outsized demand of him. And they believe he will cave. So we'll see how that plays out. And I think, again, that beside that, there is an interesting question of how will the power of the religious parties impact Likud? Because Likud is the largest party in Israel. It received a, about a quarter of the total votes in this election. And while Likud itself has become more religious in recent years, there is still a significant component of secular right-wing Israelis who vote for it. And how will they respond to the religious parties gaining more and more power and exerting that power and getting whatever they want from Netanyahu? I think Netanyahu realizes this is also a danger lurking ahead for him, that the religious parties would be so powerful and so uh, power drunk that uh, some of their demands would uh, even uh, anger voters of his own party. And so I, these are potential points that I would look at in terms of tensions within this very otherwise organic and ideologically cohesive coalition. We will leave it there for now. Amir, thank you so much for being back on this podcast. It's a pleasure, and I invite everyone who wants to read more about these interesting times ahead to look for our coverage on aharitz.com. There's going to be a lot of interesting stories to follow up on. 
This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com slash international. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend or even an enemy and rate us and leave us a nice review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. The team will be back on Thursday. And I'm Emily Tampkin. Thanks for listening. And until next time. 